reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times, articles, or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. This message is brought to you by Kevin Weeb. Well, with the big storm that we had uh, that canceled our Christmas service, um, we had to change our schedule. But, consequently, my message that was planned for Christmas Day was going to be a message about the kings that came to worship Christ. And today is the first Sunday after Epiphany. Epiphany is a holiday that was celebrated on Friday, January the 6th this year, so just a couple days ago. It's a holiday in the Christian calendar marked every year in early January where we remember the kings or the wise men that came to worship Jesus. And so the last message in the series we've been going through, the scandal of Christmas, was looking at these Gentile worshipers and the story of them coming to worship the new baby Jesus. So I thought how fitting to move this message that was going to be on Christmas Day to the Sunday after Epiphany. The message is titled, The Gentile Worshippers and the Murderous Jewish King. (laughs) What a scandal. This is another one of those scandals we see in the scriptures. Now this is... um, Not usually something that we include in our Christmas plays. We include the three wise men coming to bring their gifts to Jesus. But we don't usually talk much about King Herod and the mass murder that he committed as part of that story. Before we dive in to our passage this morning, I want to share a story from today in the Word. At a reception honoring the musician Sir Robert Mayer on his 100th birthday, the elderly British socialite, Lady Diana Cooper, fell into conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her well. Lady Diana's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds this guest was wearing. And she realized that she had been talking to none other than Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm sorry ma'am, I didn't recognize you without your crown. Oh my goodness, could you imagine being in such a situation? You're going to a birthday party, you're talking to someone that you know you have met before, that voice sounds so familiar, and you're just talking as if they're another normal person, and then you realize you're in conversation with the queen, and you have not gone through any of the normal social customs that you would in talking to the queen. What would you do if you were talking to a complete stranger and later found out that person had been the king or the queen? More to the point, what would you do if you were talking to a complete stranger and later found out that person had been Jesus, our one true king? Well, Jesus says in his word that whatever we do to the least of these, we do to him. So we have an opportunity to worship our Lord and to offer him gifts of love simply by loving one another and showing grace to each other and to other people each and every day. Then we will not need to be embarrassed when Christ comes again for the way we treat 
one another as the same way we treat Jesus in disguise, Jesus without his crown. As we read through our main passage today, it may be worthwhile to reflect on whether our actions look more like someone who is seeking to worship Jesus, like these Gentile worshipers, or whether they resemble someone who is acting rashly out of fear, or is self-serving, or power-hungry, or willing to hurt others for selfish gain. How would you treat King Jesus in disguise? Or how have you treated Jesus in disguise? Let's take a look at our main passage today. We're looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. I'm just going to pause for a moment. King Herod was a ruler of Judea. He was also Jewish, or at least partly Jewish. He was also put in place by the Romans. So some viewed him as kind of a traitor because he worked with the Romans and those who wanted to be free of the Romans kind of despised that anyone would work with the Romans. But being that he was partially or Jewish or at least partially Jewish, uh, there were some who respected him as well. But he was also an extremely paranoid and terrible ruler. So being that he had some Jewish ancestry, he was very familiar with Jewish customs as well. So now these men from the east arrive asking about the newborn king of the Jews, and they ask Herod, who himself was the Jewish king. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. 
This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. That's as far as we're going to read from this passage. This is all part of the Christmas story. Not quite as sanitized and novel and pretty as as the Christmas plays we like to put on. After all, this is a mass murder, a crime scene. A king so fearful to keep his power that he's killing many baby boys. The first thing I want to draw our attention to is that God spoke to the Gentile wise men through a star in the sky and later through a dream, which is fascinating. Fascinating that God isn't only speaking to his own people. God is speaking to others around the world about the birth of his son. We talked about how God spoke to the shepherds, to this lowly class of people, this working class people. Talked about some other scandals going on around the Christmas story, but God spoke to these men in a foreign land, far away, about the birth of his son through a star in the sky. And then later, after they came to worship the Christ child, he also spoke to them through a dream, warning them not to return to Herod. God saved their life through this dream. So, through the stars in the sky, God gives them the message about his son being born. And they were wise enough to see this message in the stars. Fascinating. God speaking, not only to his people, but through the stars to these Gentile worshipers who worshiped who knows what other gods, but who saw this in the sky, knew about the prophecies of Judah, about this Messiah, about this king of the Jews, and who wanted to come and worship this newborn king, this once-in-a-lifetime experience. They wanted to bear witness to the Messiah in his infancy. You know, we as people are drawn to that, aren't we? When there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to bear witness to history, we're kind of drawn to that, aren't we? Let's go see history playing out before our very eyes. So God spoke to these Gentile wise men, but to King Herod, the murderous Jewish king, he never heard from God. We have no record of this king hearing from God. This Jewish king presiding over God's people. The king of the land where Jesus was born. And he receives no message from God. Also fascinating. These Gentile worshippers heard from God. These peasants who were shepherds, they got an angelic chorus. But the king... Governing over the land where Jesus was born, he received no such message. Fascinating. 
I worded this in a very particular way. In this story, we have no indication that Herod had any message from the Lord, be it a vision, a dream, or figuring out something from the stars in the sky. His knowledge about the Messiah came indirectly, first from the wise men, and then from the priests and scholars who told him about the prophecies in God's word. But this brings us to a very interesting question to explore. Was this because God didn't speak to Herod? Or because Herod wasn't paying attention? Was this because God didn't speak to Herod or because Herod wasn't paying attention? Now, we know that if God had wanted to speak uh, directly to Herod, he could have spoken sufficiently loudly enough to get Herod's attention. King Herod went down in history as Herod the Great, which is kind of ironic. The scriptures do not portray him as a very great man. They portray him as a small and fearful man who is paranoid about power, about losing power and keeping the power that he did have. But he was called Herod the Great because of all of the things he built in Judea. All of the structures and aqueducts and buildings. He invested a lot in infrastructure. Initiated a lot of building complexes. So history labeled him Herod the Great. But he was also an evil king. Much more concerned with his own power than about worshiping God. So the scriptures paint a very different picture of this man. This isn't um, unique to King Herod in, in its portrayal of him as a king. There's a number of different kings in Israel's history where the historical record of secular history portrays them one way and the Bible will look at them in a different way. So while the secular historical records will look at their you know, economic accomplishments, what they did for, you know, how much money did they make Israel or those sorts of things. And Israel and the surrounding nations would have loved these kings because of everything they did for the economy. They may have been great leaders in terms of financial wealth or those sorts of things for the nation. But then you look at what the scriptures mention about those kings. And the scriptures sometimes will say almost nothing about those men other than that They followed in the sinful ways of their father. They don't mention very little other than that they were not God-fearing people, that they strayed from the Lord. And so the scriptures do not seem to think very much of them, despite the world around them thinking very highly of them. And for generations to come. So King Herod is one such man where the world around him thought very highly of him because of his achievements in building. But the scriptures show him in a very different way. So let's come back to our question. King Herod did not receive, or we have no, no record of him receiving a message from God. Was this because God didn't speak to Herod, or because he wasn't paying attention? When people walk away 
from God's ways. There comes a point where we are told that God lets them walk away and go their own way, and the result is that they are on a dark path far from God. It's not that God is that far from them, but they certainly are far from God. God doesn't keep shouting after them to make sure that they hear him because they don't want to listen. So God lets them choose the path if that is what they want. God is ready for them to return to him at any point. And should they want to return, he's but one step away. If they would only turn around and take that step, God would meet them right there to help them back on the journey to his path. Romans 1 talks about this, verses 21 to 24. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. So it says God abandoned them. I will also point out that when we look at other parts of Scripture, we see that God continues to speak in other ways. Even when people walk away. Jesus tells a story of a man uh, only known as the rich man. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We get the name of, of this man named Lazarus who was a beggar in a city. He begged at the gate of a rich man, and every day he sat there begging until one day he died. Eventually, the rich man died as well, and then we get a glimpse into the afterlife. The, the rich man died and went to hell, and Lazarus died and went to heaven. The rich man is looking across the chasm and he sees Lazarus there with Father Abraham and the rich man is begging for Father Abraham to send Lazarus to bring him water and Abraham says it doesn't work like that. He can't come, you know, there's a chasm too, too wide, nobody can cross over. And, and so Lazarus, uh, the rich man is in such torment. He says, well, at least send Lazarus or someone to go and warn my brothers about this place. If he rises from the grave, at least... At least that will warn them to change their ways to avoid this terrible fate. And then we get this line in Luke 16, 31, in Jesus' parable. He says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. They won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. They were expected to believe the word of God. They were expected to listen to the word of God because God gave that to him as his word to them. So for King Herod, he had walked away from God's ways. He was so concerned with his own power, he committed terrible acts of murder This, no doubt, only the latest in his ways of protecting his power. Walking away from God's path.
So did God speak to him? He had God's word at his disposal. We saw how quickly he could bring the religious leaders to him, just like that. The snap of his fingers calls him there and says, where is the Messiah to be born? And they can tell him instantly, whenever he wants. He had access to God's word in an instant, at his beck and call. He had more access to God's word than anyone else. Any question he would ever want answered about what God would expect of him. And he could snap his fingers and the priests and the teachers of religious law would come to him and tell him. Yet he wasn't concerned with God's will. He was concerned with protecting his own empire. How small-minded indeed. So he was not listening to God. I'm convinced that God did speak because he had God's word. Perhaps God did not speak in dreams or visions or angels or any of those other miraculous ways, but God had given his word. And as Jesus reminds in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And guess what? Jesus did just that. Jesus rose from the dead. And even still, there are those who don't believe. Something Jesus proved to be true. When you feel like you aren't hearing from God, God is still speaking. When you feel like you aren't hearing from God, God is still speaking. You know, you can check out this big list of things at the end of Romans 1 that calls out some of the types of behavior that keeps our hearts far from God. And let me tell you, while some of it has some of the really big sins like murder and stuff like that, it also includes a lot of stuff that Christians do every single day that most of us don't think anything about. So if you have trouble with being close to God and hearing from God, spend some time looking through that list and see if God might bring something to mind that could use tweaking in your life. And it might sting a little bit, you know? Might make you feel guilty about what you've done or been involved with. But remember, if God brings it to your mind, it's not to get stuck in a trap of shame, but rather to help bring it to the cross to find forgiveness and freedom from it so that you can be free from that trap. Jesus came first for the Jews, but the Jewish king was murderous, while the Gentile wise men were worshipful. Isn't that scandalous? Jesus says he came first for the Jews, but the Jewish king wanted to kill him. And the Gentile wise men, they were the ones who came to worship bowed down and worship, and then opened a treasure chest full of gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Not just gifts of value, but gifts of meaning. Great symbolism in those gifts. It also foreshadows what will happen later in Jesus' life. 
not only the gifts, but the fact that Gentiles would come to him for healing and that Jesus will declare that they have faith greater than anything that he has seen in all of Israel. Or Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor, will want to wash his hands of Jesus' blood and declare that he is innocent. And yet the Jewish leaders will stand there in the streets with crowds of Jewish people shouting, crucify, crucify. Once again, the Gentiles declaring Jesus innocent and the Jews calling for his death. This happened when he was a baby. It happened when he died. The scandal continues. Jesus came first for the Jews, but the Jewish king was murderous. And it was the Gentile wise men who were the ones who were worshiping him. Michael J. Wilkins, uh, a Bible commentator, he says this, Herod knows he is not the rightful heir to the Davidic kingdom. He has usurped the throne by aligning himself with Rome. So with the Magi's announcement that they are seeking the one born king of the Jews, he probably perceives that invading forces from the east may perhaps join forces within Israel to oust him and place a king on the throne who is from the true line of the expected Messiah. Someone from David's line. Someone with forces from the east. Someone that is being called the Messiah. Someone fulfilling these prophecies. They could could have what it takes to get Herod off his throne. They're a threat. This little baby boy placed in a manger, (laughs) born to parents in poverty, is a threat to a king. Imagine that. A baby in a manger is a threat to a king. What a scandal. God saved the wise men by giving them a dream letting them know that what Herod said wasn't in fact true Herod told the wise men after you worship him come back and let me know where he is so I may worship too there's a lesson in politics for you (laughs) they were wise not to believe every word that the politician said They were warned in a dream to run away. Go home in a different route. And then, in a dream given to Joseph, he was warned to flee immediately. So that night, that night, they left, leaving Bethlehem. And so God saved them. Saved the wise men along with Jesus and his family from Herod's wrath. Despite Herod's murderous anger, God offered protection for both the wise men and also for Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. But there's more scandal in this passage that we have yet to consider. Another scandal in this story that might bother us, it certainly bothers me a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, is wondering why God didn't save all those other baby boys.
What about them? Now, we know why God saved Jesus, because he had great purpose yet to live out on earth. But the wise men? The other baby boys? The wise men he saved, but why were they so much more valuable than the other boys? So God warned the wise men in a dream and warned Joseph in a dream about the danger that was to come. So Jesus was able to be taken to Egypt by his parents and the wise men could escape, but why not all those other children? Scholars estimate that in a village the size of Bethlehem, there would have been approximately 20 baby boys that would have been massacred. I must admit, I thought there would have been more than that, but still, 20, 20 baby boys. That's likely 20 different families losing their child. That's a lot of mourning and grief. That's a lot of funerals. Let that sink in for a moment. He intervened in some, but not in all. Why? Now, I don't want to rush past this part, but I do want us to put the blame where it rightfully belongs. It was Herod who ordered the death of those children and not God. And while we can and should wrestle with questions like this, there is also a deeper truth that we can consider. It's a truth that, in fact, goes back to the beginning of the world, back to when God made humanity. And it doesn't fully answer this question for us, but it might help a little bit. The same freedom that allows us to choose love also allows us to choose evil. When God created us with the freedom of choice, this was the only way for us to have a true and real relationship with him. Otherwise, we'd be just mindless computers or automatons or whatever. It But doing this also opened the possibility that we would walk away from him. Any kind of true relationship is voluntary. That there comes a point at which people can walk away and not have that relationship anymore. Even with children, while they're not they don't choose the family that they're born into, but once they grow up, then there's a test of that relationship. Will they come back? Will they choose to stay in relationship with mom and dad or not? Do you realize how much God risked just to have a chance to have a relationship with us? God wanted an authentic and loving relationship with humanity so much that he risks every person walking away from him and doing as they please, hurting each other and living out great evil just so that some will choose to be his children. Let me say this a little bit differently. Let's make this personal because it is personal. God wanted a true and authentic and loving relationship with you So much that when he created the world, he took the chance that you would say no to him and walk away and hurt him and all kinds of other people in the process just for the chance that one day you might come back to the Lord and say yes 
to living in that kind of relationship with him. But God didn't just wait around for us to come back because there was a debt to pay. There was a price for our freedom and a cost to things being made right because we did so much damage and we needed to be shown the way. And so we come back again to the real scandal of Christmas once again. The real scandal of Christmas is that God left heaven to come to a broken earth for us. This is the scandal we have come back to again and again in this series. That God left the perfection of heaven to come to a broken earth for you and for me. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. This is the scandal of Christmas. Matthew 1.12 says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He did not leave us alone. He did not just create the world and spin it like a top and leave it off to go on its own way. God came to be with us. And not just back when Jesus came, he left his spirit here with us now, so he's with us still today. My hope is that you will not only see the beauty of Christmas, but also see the scandal and the scandalous grace of God. So how will you respond to this scandalous grace? As I said at the beginning, we have a chance to show our love and devotion to Jesus every day, for Jesus shows up in disguise in our lives. As Jesus taught us, whatever we do to the least of these, we have done to him. Will we be more like these Gentile worshipers coming to Jesus in reverence, in worship, bowing the knee to him? Or are we threatened by Jesus? Are we responding to him in fear? My prayer is that we will follow Jesus in reverence and awe every day. I want to close with a poem by G.K. Chesterton. The Christ child lay on Mary's lap. His hair was like a light. A weary, weary is the world, but here is all aright. The Christ child lay on Mary's breast. His hair was like a star. O stern and cunning are the king's but here the true hearts are. The Christ child lay on Mary's heart. His hair was like a fire. Oh, weary, weary is the world, but here the world's desire. The Christ child stood at Mary's knee. His hair was like a crown. And all the flowers looked up at him and all the stars looked down. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending us the Christ. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for your scandalous grace. 
God, I pray that we would respond more like the wise men, bowing the knee, coming in reverence and awe and worship to you. Lord, and as we meet you in our jobs, in the streets, in our families, in our homes, wherever we go, wherever we encounter those that you might call the least of these, Lord, I pray that we would serve you by serving others with love and with worship. Lord, may we never be guided by fear like King Herod, but may we always be guided out of love for you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your grace. May we always extend that to others as well. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.